Hi, everyone, and welcome to the GSA Office Hours podcast. I'm your host, Alex Van Atkins. So in this episode, I sit down with Helene Purcell to discuss the um, SSG award, otherwise known as the Graduate Student Support Grant. So in this episode, we talk about the application requirements. We get the inside scoop on what exactly the committee is going to be looking for. We also talk about what the reimbursement process looks like for those who are lucky enough to receive the award. Um, I also wanted to mention that on Fordham's website, um, on the page for graduate student support, which I'll provide a link to um, in this episode, there are examples of previously funded proposals, um, which I didn't realize until after um, I chatted with Helene. So on this page, there are sample project narratives and budget justifications from um, biology, English, history, medieval studies, philosophy, psychology, and theology graduate students. So if you're unsure about um, the type of tone you should take in your essay or how others are positioning themselves and their research, um, alternative learning, or conference opportunities to the committee, you can check out that page um, there. Um, All right, I think that's it. So here's my conversation with Helene. Okay, so Helene, um, thank you for sitting down and talking about the SSGs. Like, I'm kind of new at this, so. No problem. Happy okay. to help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why don't we just, like, run through and say, like, what is SSG? Mm-hmm. So SSG stands for Student Support Grant. It's one of the main roles of the GSA or the Graduate Student Association at Fordham, where we take um, student fees and we've um, apportioned uh, some of this with the administration to um, this grant that helps to support conference travel, research, and alternative learning experiences. So, um, you know, it's about $88,000 altogether that goes towards um, all these students' professional development. Okay. And what exactly do you mean by alternative learning experience? So um, alternative learning experience is is kind of a catch-all in in a lot of ways. Uh, It's, you know, when it's not conference and it's not research, but there's this other experience that you might have had that lends towards, um, you know, your dissertation in a way that's not categorized as conference or research, research, or it's just part of your professional development more generally. So for example, I actually, a couple of years ago, applied for the SSG for the alternative learning experience track. And what I had done was gone to a workshop in Italy on um, economic development, and it was focused on uh, human capital, uh, family, and development, and that's what I study. So my advisor had um, reached out to me and said this would be a great opportunity for your your research, um, you know, not directly tied to my dissertation, but it would be a great experience for my development as a student, as a PhD student, and kind of adding to my toolkit um, for uh, NCV for, uh, you know, going forward in in the program. So I went to Italy, I, uh, you know, was able to apply for reimbursement for my travel and then the workshop itself, which was uh, five days. So it ended up being a really great experience for me, but it wasn't in those first two tracks. So therefore, um, fell into that catch-all experience, okay. alternative experience. And just to clarify, can these opportunities be 
either domestic or international? Is there any preference or? So there's no preference. I would say that the um, the only real uh, limit is that for domestic, you actually get more um, availability of funds for international travel. So um, the limit for domestic travel is $1,000 that you can apply for, whereas for um, international travel, it's $1,500. And I really suggest that you don't exceed those limits on your budget proposal forms um, because the committees, when they're evaluating the applications, do pay attention to whether you've read the rules. You know, we have our SSG fact sheet that we'll um, distribute to all the students. Um, which, uh, you know, clearly state those limits. Um, The other uh, difference is the fact that you kind of want to justify in your project narrative if you have to go internationally, whether it be for a conference or an alternative learning experience, why that's important. Why can't you get the same exact experience in the U.S., in New York City? Um, You know, obviously it would be a lot more, uh, a lot cheaper. You know, in my my, uh, instance, this was like a very prestigious workshop. It was run by researchers in the field that were well known and famous, and so the the opportunity to learn under them would was a really great opportunity for me. Okay. So um, that's kind of like you want to make sure that that's clear in your application why traveling so far would be necessary. Okay, awesome. And I I want to talk a little bit more about the project narrative when we get to the application mm-hmm. materials for sure. But um, very quickly now, are there um, different types of opportunities that the SSG definitely doesn't cover that occasionally some applicants may um, try to apply for? Uh, say, for example, if there's a student who wants to be a participant at a conference, mm-hmm. if they aren't, say, for example, actually presenting themselves, right. but they want to go and network and watch. So what are some... Um, opportunities that you know so that applic- we can't yeah that, we that you can't, can't apply fund. for it's not under the SSG you might have to go elsewhere for right that. so a lot of them are ad hoc of like whether we can or can't find certain things but um you know a couple of clear examples are the one that you just brought up if you are not presenting uh at the conference that you're trying to attend it's just not fundable by the the GSA and, and by the SSG itself um we just put more of an emphasis on your own research and presenting that research rather than going and um, hearing about other people's research and having those network opportunities. Um, and we've decided to prioritize the presentation itself, um, whether it's a poster or um, your own paper. Um, the second that I can think of is, you know, some people have tried to apply for alternative learning experiences where they try to take a course at a different university, but if those courses are available at Fordham, then they are not funded by the SSG. So if you, um, you can try to make the case that studying Arabic in, like, in a country that, that uh, uh, speaks Arabic would be more beneficial, but you would really have to um, make the case well that you deserved that rather and why the Fordham University course would be insufficient for what you need in that in that realm. Um, and then the, I had another one and I'm not thinking of it. If I think of it, I will come back to it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the application cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, how frequently are 
um, students able to put in for this money? Mm-hmm. Um, and when do those opportunities arise? When they sh- should they be on the lookout for these opportunities? Right. So it's it's once a semester. So twice a year, we um, put, put out the call for applications. Um, this semester, fall 2019, will be September 30th when the application is open online. So you can go online and upload all your documents and um, submit your application. The due date for this cycle is November 1st. Um, for the spring, it will most likely be sometime mid-March uh, when the applications will be due. And similarly, it will open, the application site will open um, a month previous to when the due date is. So the committee cuts together um, and uh, reads through all of the applications, um, evaluates all of the applications, and then comes together in a meeting to actually decide award amounts. Uh, Usually, typically, we give them a a decent amount of time to review these thoroughly. So maybe if um, the applications are due November 1st, sometime in late November, we'll get the committees together to decide on award amounts. We'll send out the letters in early December, and then um, students, after receiving awards, can then um, apply for reimbursement afterwards. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, and then specifically, what are the various components of the application? So um, you need first uh, and foremost your project narrative, which will essentially just lay out what um, the opportunity is, whether it's conference research or alternative learning. Um, You know, you really want to discuss your research, how this opportunity is great for you for pursuing, um, you know, whether it be your thesis, your dissertation, your professional development, any three of those things um, are, you know, you just want to enumerate that as the as best you can within your project narrative. So mm-hmm. to clarify, this isn't necessarily a summary or an explanation of the opportunity, but rather it's written in an argumentative mode and it's articulating how this opportunity is going to contribute to the master's or PhD students' academic or professional development? Absolutely. So that's a big part of it. Of course, you would want to, um, like if you're going to a um, conference that is, you know, the best in in your field and you want to describe the conference, why it's important, all of these things, especially in the alternative learning track, you certainly want to um, explain and describe the experience that you're you're pursuing. However, you just want to make sure that that the um, driving force within your narrative is how it relates to your research and professional development and why, um, like, why you deserve the funding from the SSG. Okay, and so this can be related to your dissertation. Um, What about um, teaching or other, um, let's say someone's really interested in maybe higher ed admin or something, are there these sort of like alt career tracks that are also um, supported by the SSG? So I guess if you like went to a a workshop or or something like that um, where you could pursue those things, you can certainly make the case for it under the alternative learning experience. I would say they're less typical. Um, About 75% 75 of our applications are for conference travel uh, or conference um, funding, uh, at least in the past. Going forward, uh, you know, we would be opening, open to, you know, any type of application and any type of breakdown, but typically um, most of it's for conference travel. And um, then a big chunk is for research. And then I would say a very small percentage is for alternative learning experiences. But certainly because it's this big catch-all, you just, again, have to make the case for why it's good for you. But sure, sure, if you're um, pursuing, you know, alternative 
um, teaching careers and things like that, and you can make that case, you're more than welcome to apply for the SSG for that. Okay, got it. So we have project narrative. What else for the applications? Um, you need, uh, second most important, you need your bud budget proposal. And this kind of outlays the costs associated with your um, research conference uh, funding or your alternative learning experience. So this would be the cost of the workshop, the cost of travel, cost of lodging, conference registration costs. Um, on the research end, a lot of um, our students that apply for research grants are more on um, either like uh, directly part inputs into the research such as reagents for some of our biology students or maybe participant um, awards for um, more of our psychology who have human participants within their research um, and and so uh, it would be really directly um, laying out what the proposed budget is um, I want to emphasize here that this is very important and the committee pays attention to what costs you put out. So if you are um, going for conference travel, you want to tell them that you're making smart decisions. You can um, evaluate different flights and say, you know, I looked at all these flights and even though the one that I'm, um, I'm, I'm putting this cost um, in my budget proposal, it's the lowest cost that I could find even though it was at an inconvenient time and show that you're prioritizing the cost um, and lowering the cost. I split this Airbnb with multiple students um, or I saw that the conference hotel was super expensive so I decided to go with this alternative hotel down the street because it was more affordable. Lay those things out in your budget proposal so that the committee can see that you've made an effort to um, minimize the budget as much as possible. You know, for some things that's not gonna be possible for the conference expense for, um, you know, some of these reagents which just have a hard cost to them. Um, but you wanna say exactly why these things are important, why you need funding for them, um, and why the costs are exactly what the costs are. Okay, so. I mean, I actually still haven't applied for an SSG, mm -hmm. but I could imagine that some students might be nervous about mm -hmm. not getting full funding and then might inflate the costs of the flight or a hotel to some extent. Mm -hmm. So let's say an applicant, it's their first time doing this, like what happens if they kind of inflate the budget a bit? Like what typically, how um, is that identified and then what does the committee right. view that? So, of course, there's no, like, certain way to know. There's no certain way to know that, that you've um, looked at this flight versus that flight and you've put this cost um, on, your, on your budget proposal form. No one's going to be searching on Expedia to see if they can find the same flight, of course. However, the committee is looking at 100 applications at a time. So you can kind of gauge the people that are inflating the budget versus the people who are being conservative in their estimates. Um, you know, if you are um, a biology student that's putting in, um, you know, a cost for a reagent, you want to give support for that cost. Um, and the committee does pay attention to that. Obviously, for conference travel, if you're traveling with five other students in your department to the same um, conference and yours is, your budget is much more inflated than the other four students who have applied for the same thing, and we have seen this in the past, the committee doesn't take kindly to that. So we're talking about people that, like, sure, there's no way to um, verify 100% that you're not inflating your budget, but we have a smart um, committee made up of both faculty and students who can see whether you're making smart choices or not. Okay, and that was actually one of my other questions, is like, who's evaluating these um, applications? So you said it's graduate students as well as professors? Yes. Could so, you say a little bit more maybe about that? What um, applicants should anticipate 
their audience. Um, Absolutely. Be, yeah. So that's a really important part of it. Um, you know, these are the people that are making the decisions, the award decisions. So there's a couple things you want to keep in mind. It's both faculty and graduate students. So we have eight people on the committee, um, and then the two of us will be moderating the committee, so we don't actually participate ourselves in the award decisions. But um, out of the eight, um, it's split evenly, four students and four faculty members. And this was done because um, the SSG was actually formed um, out of two separate grants that used to exist the professional professional development grant run by the GSA and the um, RSG, which was the uh, research support grant. So a couple of years ago, we combined these two into the student support grant um, run by uh, both the administration and the GSA itself. So because of that, we have um, equal voices from the students and from the faculty. Um, when we uh, pick the faculty, or when we pick the committee members, um, obviously it's based on those those people's availability, but we try to get representation from across mm -hmm. um, departments. So, you know, whether that's, um, you know, it's it, because there's only eight, eight committee members and 18 departments within uh, GSAS, it's not going to be completely representative, but we want to make sure that we have, uh, you know, some humanities uh, representation, some social science representation, natural science representation. So at least we get um, different input and different voices from um, different parts of the committee. However, you still want to make sure that you're writing to a diverse audience. Yeah. So it's not going to be, even if there's an economics um, faculty member on, on the committee and I'm an economics student that's applying for an SSG, Sure, that um, faculty member might know exactly what I'm talking about, exactly what my research is, and uh, be able to decipher the technical language that I use. However, there's going to be seven other people looking at my application, and the worst thing that you can do is completely lose them and completely lose their interest and not explain to them clearly what your research is about, what um, your why this conference is important, why this um, you know uh, alternative learning experience is important, because. Uh, the more that you confuse people, the less likely they are to rank your application high compared to other people. So just, we're, we're all, the committee is going to be smart people, so don't make it too too trivial. However, make sure that it's reaching a broad audience and not being so technical that you lose people's attention. Yeah, so you're not writing to only professors in your own field. Right. And so if there's a particular conference in which is very prestigious, you don't want to take for granted that they understand the reputation of that particular conference, for exactly. example, or opportunity. Right. Okay. And this like this also has another thing for specifically psychology students. So um, we've had issues in the past with um, posters being poster presentations being funded um, because you know in other departments posters um, are not seen as very pre prestigious. However, in psychology, it's very, very hard to present a paper. And it is more normal for students to go to poster sessions and present their posters. So keeping that in mind for our psychology applicants, you know, make sure in your narrative you're saying that it's, it's um, standard and make sure your faculty recommendation letter says this is standard for our department. This is standard for PhD students within psychology to present posters. Um, while it might not be the norm outside of um, psychology, uh, for us, it means a lot for our students to present posters. And just keeping that in mind. Okay. Um, and I have a few more questions, but let's just see. So we have the project narrative. We have a budget proposal. Mm -hmm. um, I assume CV. Yes, your CV as well. Um, and then uh, your 
faculty recommendation letter, which is, it. I, I want to emphasize this, this is new this year. Previously, you only needed a faculty recommendation letter if you were a first semester student or your request was higher than $750. We have changed that this year. Now, every application will need a faculty recommendation. And we'll try to emphasize this in all of our communications sur surrounding the SSG this year and reach out to students who apply and don't have the uh, faculty recommendation letter. But the feedback that we had gotten from our committee in previous semesters was that it was really hard to compare applications across students who did and did not have faculty recommendation letters and therefore it's imperative for parity among applications that we get that from every student just so you're not like someone um for instance who had a 500 dollars request versus someone who had a 750 dollars request and all of a sudden we have a faculty recommendation on one side and not for the other student it just shows a lot more support for the student who's requesting 750 dollars so we don't want to have that um that unequal uh, treatment among applications just because someone's applying for $250 less. So now we've just made it standard across the board. You will need a faculty recommendation letter, preferably from your direct advisor. Okay, and so as a, um, a person who now writes letters of recommendation mm -hmm. for students, um, what have you seen? Are these recommendations specifically about the student um, or are they also about the student and the opportunity? So what have you seen um, faculty members talking about? Should it be both about like why the student is a really excellent candidate and researcher or um, kind of well-rounded or are they also kind of talk speaking to the disciplinary importance of this particular opportunity? Yes, and, and I would say definitely the latter. Um, you certainly want your faculty to recommend you as a person and as a student and say how excellent you are, but you also want them to enumerate how great this conference is for your research, how um, this workshop was imperative for, your, for furthering your development as a PhD student, and that's why you recommended that student. So when I applied, my advisor was the one that had re recommended me to go to the workshop. So then I reached out to her and asked her, you know, can you write this recommendation letter? And in that, she explained exactly why this was, that workshop was important. You know, so you definitely want the faculty uh, that you're requesting the letter from to give as much, um, to shed as much light on the opportunity as possible so that the committee can understand why it's good for the student's development. Okay, awesome. Um, and then any other application requirements? The only other thing that I can think is just specific to the co conference um, participation, which is your acknowledgement of the conference acceptance. So you don't need it for research, you don't need it for the alternative learning experience. It's clearly in the, the exact description of what we're saying, the acknowledgement of conference acceptance. So you need to show that you've been accepted to present at the conference that you're applying for money for, before or as you apply so it does make it tricky with timing sometimes um, where you have to you haven't yet received um, conference acceptance um, unfortunately it's just the only way that we can we can 
uh, anticipate the fact that you will definitely be presenting at this conference before receiving the award. So we don't want someone to receive this award and then not be accepted for the conference. And as a result, that money is now lost and could have been given to another student. So we just want to make uh, check all of our boxes up front um, and say that you need this conference acceptance before or as you apply rather than, um, you know, after receiving the award. That being said, if you don't yet have the conference acceptance by the SSG due date, you can always re apply retroactively for the next cycle. So say that you don't get, you're not going to get your conference acceptance until um, November 10th and the SSG is due November 1st. Well, it does make um, like expense outlay a little bit tricky. Um, you still can get assurance that you can apply in the spring cycle for um, that conference uh, that you didn't get uh, acceptance to until after the fall cycle had closed. That, and like another caveat on that is that the committee prefers that you do to the best of your ability, apply to the cycle that is most relevant to the time frame in which your conference research or alternative learning experience is happening. So if I went to a conference last September, I wouldn't be able to apply for that funding this coming fall because I already had two cycles in which I could have got applied it. for that, that funding. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, I think the only other question I had was about the reimbursement process. Mm -hmm. So like you've applied, you got the award and you have to get reimbursed. But before we go down that path, is there anything else you want to, um, clarify to those who are first timers or alternatively, maybe those who are looking to apply again, um, if they've already received an SSG, does, is that taken into consideration? It is taken into consideration and it really depends on the, um, like the amount of funds available and you know where your application ranks and stuff, but it's just one factor out of many. So I wouldn't dissuade people from not applying because you've already received funding in the past. Um, typically you'll still receive funding. It just might not be as much as you were expecting because you've previously received funding and we're prioritizing students who have not yet received funding. Um, that being said, you know, I definitely encourage you to still apply. Um, in terms of other advice, I would just say that recognize that you're applying um, for, for a competitive grant. You want to make the best argument you can for why you're deserving of this award, why um, you've really done your research into what these costs are, or what these, um, what your budget is going to be, and you know how much this uh, experience is going to cost you, and just you know argue that, argue that in your project narrative, argue that in your budget proposal. Make sure your faculty recommender is you know doing the the best that they can in in portraying you in a good light. Um, and enumerating the opportunity, um, you know, and just keep in mind that this isn't just a, a check the box type of thing. It is a competitive grant, um, you know, and the, the quality of your writing and the quality of your research going into your budget proposal will be reflected in like your award amounts. So, um, you know, typically people come back to us and say, I didn't receive as much funding as I wanted. And when we look back at their project narrative or their budget proposal, those are the weak parts of it. So it's, it's you know, really putting effort and time into articulating exactly what this opportunity is and why you're deserving of it. Okay, cool. 
Um, so, yeah, I think the last part is just, like, reimbursement. What happens after mm-hmm. you go and then you come back and you're looking to get that reimbursement for your hotel, um, so, flight, etc. Yeah. So, I'm not going to lie. This is, like, the biggest headache on our end mm-hmm. just because um, we really want you guys to look at the reimbursement procedure that we've stated on the SSG fact sheet. Um, you know, we've tried to make it as clear as possible and the SSGs... Like, you can always reach out to SSG at Fordham.edu if you have questions at all. But there are a lot of particularities about being reimbursed. First of all, we don't reimburse certain items. So make sure you're checking the list uh, that we have for what is and isn't reimbursable. Common things that are reimbursable. Lodging, you know, hotel, Airbnb. Um travel, the method of travel, whether it be a rental car, you're driving your own car, um, you're flying, you're taking a train, we will reimburse it. Um, any workshop expenses, conference, uh, you know, registration expenses, inputs into your research, like reagents, like um, certain samples, um, even gift cards, although there's a specific reimbursement procedure for gift cards, so pay attention to that. Um, reimbursements can be complicated. However, um, we have some very specific rules for it. Um, generally, and it's, it's a case-by-case basis, but let's like just think about the most general um, case for an SSG reimbursement. My perfect reimbursement form would look like, <laughs> A, no staples, only tape. It kind of seems antiquated, but we have to, we have to scan these documents through, so any staples, we have to take them out, so please don't staple them. <laughs> provide a no staples. <laughs> yes. Provide a copy of your award letter, which we sent out to you. Provide a um, student reimbursement form, which is available on our website, which um, directly enumerates each and every expense you're being reimbursed for. If your um, if your total conference trip costs you a thousand dollars, you are only um, you're only awarded five hundred dollars. You only need to list. Um, list items that add up to the $500. You know, you can add the other things if you feel like it, but, you know, it's unnecessary. You only need to add um, items and uh, support for those items up to your award amount. Um, Fill in the information on the reimbursements sheet. And then for the receipts themselves, if there are original receipts, such as like a Metro North train ticket or a bus ticket um, that's actually printed onto those little um, sheets, you need the original receipt. We can't take copies of it. Um, and and we need that scotch tape to a plain piece of paper. Kind of silly, but that's what the procedure is for accounts payable. Um, if you um, have an electronic receipt, like say from Expedia or um, you know the airline or whatever it might be, that's fine. You just need to make sure on all receipts, no matter what receipt it is, that the last four digits of your credit card number are showing. There are so many times where we receive reimbursements and it just, it lengthens out the reimbursement project process, creates more work for everyone when that credit card number, the last four digits are not showing. So make sure that those are on your receipt somewhere, just somewhere on the receipt. Um, it's really important for accounts payable that we see that proof of payment uh, in the form of showing the credit card number at the end. Um, and then. The last thing uh, I will say is that for exchange rate conversions, 
just make it easy on us. Show us the um, receipt. So give us whatever receipt you have. If they are in pounds, euros, another currency, just show an Excel document that shows the exact uh, cost, like item, the item description, the cost in the certain uh, currency, the exchange rate, for um, that currency into US dollars and then the amount in US dollars and then the date at which that that item was purchased. So if you show that line by line for all of your current, your foreign currency transactions, um, it just makes it a lot easier for us and then show the um, support for the exchange rate itself on the day that you were, um, you were charged for that expense. Another way to do this, and another way if your receipt does not show the credit card number, is to provide a bank statement. You can white out all irrelevant information. What we need is your name, the last four digits of your account number, and the transaction shown on your bank statement. You can cross out the other transactions that we don't care about. Just make sure that that specific one shows the date that it's charged, what it is, and the amount. So if you don't know, if you don't feel like going and creating this con conversion table, you can give us a copy of your bank statement, which should show it in US dollars. If you don't have the receipt that shows the last four digits, just provide us that receipt so we have it and then provide support for payment with the bank statement. Um, and you know, if you have any questions, just email at us, email us at ssg at fordham.edu. Okay, so SSG's student support grant. Support grant Application opens September 30th, mm -hmm. closes November 1st. Yeah. The GSA will send out a call for applications and email mm -hmm. um, on that date. And, and we'll also um, attach a copy of the SSG fact sheet so you can see exactly what we've been talking about. What the requirements are, what the reimbursement procedure is, it should be all laid out and some FAQs at the end. Okay, so all the good stuff's mm -hmm. gonna be in the email. Um, the application requirements is the budget proposal, project narrative, CV, faculty uh, recs, and then if you're doing conference, you'll do acknowledgement of conference acceptance, and then this will be happening this year in the fall, yeah. and then be on the lookout for the second cycle this spring. Yes, exactly. Right? Probably around February, the application should open. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. um, anything else? No, not that I can think of. I think that this is a really great opportunity for students to take advantage of funds that are available for supporting their professional development. So I just encourage everyone to apply, um, at least take a shot at it and you know see, you know, the more applications that you do, obviously the better that you'll get at it. But um, you know, don't be nervous, just apply and see, see what kind of funding you can get because I think it's a great resource for our students. Yeah, and um, I'm really excited to be a part of it this year because I haven't before. Um, and I'd also just be interested, um, those who end up um, receiving the grant and if they want to share their experiences mm -hmm. on GSA office hours, um, yep. just reach out to us and maybe we can do an episode or we sit down, we talk about your the app, how the application process was for you, where you went, what you earned from it, and then we can kind of get some of those stories out there too to share. Yeah, I think that'd be a great idea. Great. Great okay. for um, student information. All mm -hmm. right. Well, thank you for sitting down and talk with me. I'm just the newbie VP over here. So <laughs> that was You'll really learn helpful. Quickly, I promise. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Alright, thanks everyone for listening to the first episode of GSA Office Hours. I promise that not all of our episodes are going to be uh, about such logistical things. Um, In future episodes, we are going to interview graduate students from different departments. So if you or someone you know would make a great um, interviewee on the show, you can just email us at... um, gsa at fordham.edu and we'll make it happen. Okay, thanks.